What's up, guys? I'm taking my daily stroll through the neighborhood. Perfect weather out. And I'm listening to the damn Weatherman Report. And hello and welcome to the Weatherman Report. I am Burke Myers here with a special guest. Introduce yourself, Mr. Scarano. Hi, Burke. Great to be here. Yeah? Yep. Um, and, you know, he's the athletic director at Cal Baptist University, um, the home of the Lancers. And, you know, love to hear his story and uh, a little bit more about him. You know, him and my dad go way back, you could say. Oh, I have no doubt about it. First of all, it's great to be a Lancer. Yeah, your father and I go way back to Coach Wooden's camps uh, many years ago. And that's one of the great things about the camps is you meet so many great people, so many tremendous people. And you're in the trenches with them for for five days and you take a day off and you come back again for another five days of camp and uh, it's just at that point of my life if I could have stayed in camp the rest of my life I would have because that's what I thought life was all about you know yeah no those John Wood camps I remember doing those when I was little I still remember, I still remember those those were uh, those were like going back to school it was like summer school basically those, how long they were yeah well you know then, we got fed yeah, we got fed. Yeah, we got so to play ball, play. which is great, and can't we got go $50 play. a week, you know, you for working play. for you know for working 18 hours a day. Yeah. I think there's <laughs> been some labor laws or something like that. Yeah, back I know. Then. Should have uh, went to the big boss and been like, yo, what, <laughs> where's my check? Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, the interesting thing about Cal Baptist is now they're a Division One university, um, in all sports, I believe, correct? Yeah, correct. You know, what, what happened was, Years ago, the president arrived in 1994, Dr. Dr. Ron, Ronald um, L. Um, he, he did a great job. He's, he's a visionary. And when he come, came on campus in 94, there were only like 780 students. And he knew in order to grow enrollment, you know, that there are things that you have to have in place. So one is you have to have a beautiful campus, you know, because what keeps a student? You know, you have a beautiful campus, you have to have good food, and you have to have something for them to do. And one thing that CBU does tremendously well is they maintain the grounds of the campus. Uh, the food here is fabulous. And, you know, and there's programming. I, I, I can't believe that, you know, if you're a student here, and if you say, well, there's nothing to do on board, there's something wrong with you. Because we do our student services, they do a tremendous job of programming. There's there's always something going on. Now, of course, there's time for studying and things like that, you know, but you have athletic events. You have, we, we have like a Super Bowl of flag football and we have a big front lawn, uh, uh, you know, obviously in the front of our campus. And they bring in bleachers and they bring in the floodlights and, and they have different divisions and, and they do it over uh, like, a, like a weekend. And we'll get 1,200, 2,000 people just watching it. it. It's tremendous. So so when he arrived, so he did that, and then he also, he grew sports. You know, so he, he, we're enrollment-driven, as, as a lot of private schools are. So he grew sports, uh, added sports, uh, because back when he came on, I think there was only four sports at this point. Now we have 18 NCAA sports, and then we have three other sports, which we consider varsity sports, and it's cheer, dance, and stunt, all separate. Uh, Stunt just won a national championship in their first year this past year. Uh, Cheers won seven consecutive national championships in their category. Um, you know, and we have tremendous coaches. 
who care about the, the program, they care about the student athlete, they care about being competitive, they care about success. Uh, you know, and, and you couple that with, with the support that we get from the upper administration. You know, and so years ago, uh, CBU was NAI, and then they went NAI for a number of years. And then in, in 2010, they, they started to make the transition to Division II. Uh, and they were in a PAC-West conference uh, with other institutions that were NAI that made that transition to Division II. And then now Division I. And uh, so we went from the PacWest Conference into the WAC, the Western Athletic Conference. And uh, you have to be Division Two for a minimum of five years uh, before you can go to Division One. Now, the back history on that is years ago in early 2000s, there were about 1,100 NAIA institutions. And within 10 years, that went down to the 300s, 387. Yeah, I was going to say, because I went to Westmont, and uh, we're in AIA, and pretty much outside of our conference, there's not really many, like all the other conferences, if you look at the brackets and stuff for like the tournaments, we're the biggest conference by far school-wise. Like we have, I think, eight or nine schools in our, yeah. in our league, and all the other schools had like, five or six and you know they're playing still like 30 games just playing all over the place you know wherever they can get a game um you know and obviously you look at a lot of these NAIA schools and you, you can tell they're making trying to make a transition because they always add division one teams or division two teams mm -hmm. on their uh schedule even though they don't, technically don't count towards your the record um it just kind of shows where the program is if you can compete with a division one school um, I mean, you're competing with the best, I guess, at that level. So, oh, well, no doubt. I mean, NAI back in the day, in the 80s, very, very strong. 70s, very, very strong. As a matter of fact, the NAI was a lot stronger than the NCAA. And then the NCAA got television rights. They kind of beat the NAI to it. And that's what really propelled them forward. Uh, because in the 60s, it was basically the same. You know? And then you had, you know, and then the, and then the NCAA started coming around. Uh, but it was basically, I mean, Grand Canyon was an NAI school. They were an NAI powerhouse back in the day. They, they the likes of like Baird Force and some other uh, some other ball players from uh, basketball uh, specifically, uh, and they were really dominant. Uh, and a lot of other institutions across the nation were dominant in NAI. And then, for whatever reason, in early very early two thousands, the NCAA uh, the transition was only a two year transition. And you had all these NEI schools that made it the transition from um, NEI to Division One for the most part. Uh, some went D2, some went D3. And so you go from 1,100 institutions now to, you know, 327 or 387, whatever it was, in the 300s. Yeah. And some couldn't sustain the requirements for the N and for the NCAA, you know, mostly from a financial standpoint. And, you know, but some did very well. I mean, the Belmonts. The, the Lipscombs, you know, those NEI schools all went D1. Uh, Birmingham Southern went Division One. Uh, they were there for two or three years. A new president came in, reclassified them to Division Three. You know, and so um, uh, it is expensive. It's much more expensive all the way around because of the requirements for the NCAA to either Division Two is definitely Division One. Yeah, no, and I mean. 
one of the most probably most expensive sport is what probably football I would say or the padding all that and I mean yeah. that's where the, that's, that's like the one sport you know a lot of universities don't have if they don't have it like because I mean it's CS is going to bring you a lot of money but it could also cost you a lot of money more so than what you gain uh, from football I mean unless you're like the Alabamas Clemsons USC's I mean I feel like a lot of these universities sometimes lose money because uh, you know they don't have the brand name of those certain schools like you know because basketball you're not really I mean you pay for the you know athletes you know college and then you pay the coaches and you know you get a bunch of fans there and you pay for a gym I mean you don't pay for all the, the equipment of padding and all that and um, you know I feel like some of these other sports are you know you gotta you have to work with a lot more stuff um, and just expenses um, so that's why you know it's interesting seeing how few schools have football like NAIA has like no football like they have very little to no, no football like in that whole I think like maybe in the Midwest I think they have some um, in the Midwest schools outside of that there's like not one school that has a football because yeah. obviously can't afford it most likely well, you look at Azusa Pacific, From you know, they had football. They were very successful. They turned out a couple of professional athletes uh, from a football standpoint. They dropped football last year. And so, you know, because it is expensive, uh, you know, and you couple that with a COVID situation, a lot of institutions that were, were getting uh, hammered because of COVID, uh, not from a health standpoint, but more specifically from, you know, students were no longer on campus, and so they weren't receiving any revenue from uh, you know, from the res halls, from from lodging, from meals, things like that. Uh, you know, and so so that was really hindered. The you know, and then you look at um, the the football, as you mentioned, Bert, is that, and you're exactly right. I used to remember the percentage of those. You know, what the percentage was of those institutions that operated in the black across the nation, and there's not too many that operate in a black. You know, you know, so you look at well, then what's the worth of intercollegiate athletics, you know, well, it brings other things, you know, to the table. Uh, you know, does it cost? Absolutely. You know, but I think the benefits far outweigh, uh, you know, just a, just investment in there. And so, so you're looking at this, and and uh, you know, the, the power fives, yes, they have money. You know, so you're looking at, you know, the the Big Twelve, the you know, the Big Ten, the the, the Pac Twelve, the ACC, and of course SEC, especially football. SEC's fo the football conference, although Pac-12 and the, you know, Big yeah. 12 and the other ones probably say no, 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 but it, that's the reality of it. But those are the ones that are making a lot of money from football. They're making a lot of money, and then you look at Nick Saban's contract, you know, and he's just got a contract extension, and I think I was talking with a friend last night, until he's 77 or 74 years old, you know, he gets the coach, and he's getting like $8.7 a year. Jeez. You know? And, you know, and, but he's brought in a lot to that campus. Yeah, you know, national championships after national championships. Yeah, it makes a big yeah. difference, you know. And then you have what's called the Flutie factor, you know. When Doug Flutie was a, was the quarterback for Boston College, you know, what thirty years ago, whatever that was, and he threw that hail mary in Boston College. I forgot who they beat. Uh, and what happened with enrollment? Admission started increasing because people want to go to an institution where they win. You know, yeah, they exactly. want to be they want to be associated with the winner. You know, yeah, so they can wear the wear the, the CBU shirt, you know, you know, or the, in that case, the Boston College, 
you know, T-shirt or whatever. So when they go back home, they think it's supposed to be associated with it. Yeah, it's like how, um, you know, how basketball now everyone's trying to go, you know, one and done. And so everyone tries going to, like, Kentucky because Kentucky's, like, home of the one and dones now with Coach Calipari out there. And, you know, and some of these kids go out there and they're four or five stars and don't pan out. It truly does not pan out for them, you know. They think, oh, I was so good in high school, I'm going to compete against, like, the, some of the best Division One athletes I'm going to go up against, and they just can't compete with them. And I feel like the, you know, I've talked about this with my pops plenty and with you um, a little bit too, about AAU and how AAU's changed so much about how the mentality of, like, a lot of players um, – I mean, me playing one summer of it, I'll tell you something. Players don't really care about winning as much anymore. Players care a lot more about their individual statistics, and that's about it. Yeah, and, and, and talking with college coaches, and this is over the past, when I was at my previous institution, talking with the, the longtime coach there who took his team to the NCAAs, uh, and then, you know, current coaches and coaches across the, you know, the region or, and or the nation, they're uh, – there's a frustration with the AAU coaches. It's, and they're almost like a necessary evil because you need them because you go out recruiting and you're talking with the AAU coach a lot. And so you have this triangle because you have the AAU coaches, which is kind of at odds with the, the high school coach because high school coach is trying to teach one fundamental a certain way. AAU coach might be teaching a fundamental, might, might not. You know, um, and then you have the college coach who has to deal with both the high school coach and then maybe the AAU coach. And the AAU coach is saying, hey, if you go to this, you come to my team, I'll get you into this college program. Uh, you know, or if you come to my team, I'll get you to this high school program. You know, and you, and you might relocate 45 miles just so you're not in the same district. And that happens a lot. And that's one reason why the CIF, uh, you know, they, they just threw their arms up and say, hey, we can't control this anymore. Uh, because people are changing addresses or using a different address and so forth, but it's it's uh, it's quite different than over the years. There's oh, yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah, honestly, I've noticed that a lot from when I was going to high school. I mean, just for my junior year, if you transferred, you had to sit out. I think it was probably like ten games. I think the first like ten games you had to sit out, or you had to sit out like a total amount of days or something like that. It was like a month or two months. Something like that. And now people just transfer and don't have to sit out at all. They just go transfer and go play. And, you know, so people are, and I've seen so many players that are, you know, D1 talent that will go to small schools just so they bump up their averages. Like they'll go to like those small little Christian schools where the competition is not the best and they'll go dominate and it'll make their, you know, just make their points per game, average look really high, and all that, and then they go, and they're not getting as much promise as they were when they were at the big school, because, I mean, that, at least when you're at the big school, if you're putting up 18, 20 a game against really good competition, people are going to notice that. I mean, yeah, if you're putting up 40 against, like, weak competition, you know, if people actually want to go see your game, they'll see how weak the competition is, usually, and just be like, well, I mean, if, if, you, if you're able to... You know, if you're just a little more athletic than these people, then, I mean, you're fully just dominating them. So, I mean, that's that's something I noticed. Like, so many people jump around now, and there's just no um, there's no blowback by it at all because, I mean, you can just transfer without worrying about having to sit out or, 
you know, you don't have to worry about your recruiting as much because, I mean, they, all, all they're thinking about is, oh, I'm averaging 30 a game. It doesn't matter. Yeah, Somebody's going to see me. Absolutely. You know, and that's one of the things that just permeates. It carries over into how do they conduct themselves as an adult down the road. You know, and, and I was at a local high school game two years ago and a highly successful high school coach. And he lost two of his best players right at Christmas. You know, they just didn't show up for a game because they had transferred to another institution, you know, another high school. And, and he didn't know about it until he caught wind of it from you know, some of his players that said, oh yeah, Johnny and Billy transferred to such and such school. You know, and, and the issue is that, first of all, they transferred. Uh, you know, so there's no loyalty there, all right? Or they didn't show a display of loyalty. And the second thing is, you know, now they just, it's, it's more, as he says, more about me than about the team. You know, and then that, that starts getting instilled into them. You know, and then when they go off and play in college, you know, they, they have a hard time understanding what the college coach might want them to do. You know, I mean, I was looking, you, we talked about the transfer portal last time. Earlier today, I was looking, and this year alone, there's over 26,000 people from this year only in a portal. You know, and and, uh, and it's, just, it's just crazy because there's, there's no commitment. There's no cost of commitment there yeah, at all. There's no, there's no loyalty. Um, I mean, I get, you know, someone might get homesick, something like that, which, I mean, it happens, you know, I mean, that's how Johnny Juzang ended up back at UCLA. You know, UCLA was kind of his number one team, and then he was like, oh, well, Kentucky wants me. And he only averaged, what, two, three points a game at Kentucky. And he's like, you know, I know I'm probably going to be a two-, three-year guy before I even think about going to the NBA. So, But, like, I, I'd rather be back home at UCLA. Um, but, yeah, no, I, it's crazy how, especially with seniors now, where they'll find another year of eligibility or something, and be like graduate, like if you're a graduate transfer, you transfer like anywhere you want pretty much. And like you have priority over like everybody else. And I've noticed like a lot of, I've seen a lot of players do that over the last like five years. That's like one big thing I've noticed is graduate transfers have been taking total advantage of that and just going wherever. And you know, they're probably not even going to school because I mean, they've graduated. So they're probably just, you know, I'm taking one class and probably dance class or something like that where, you know, something like that. And, um, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Because I know that when I was at Westmont, it was still like that. You know, they, they'd put some of the uh, the jocks or, you know, the basketball players that they knew they weren't, weren't very smart, you could say. Not the smartest uh, cookies out there. Um, uh, the sharpest tool in the shed, you could say. Um, they, they'd put them in literally the easiest, like, walk in the mood classes that you just as long as you kind of just show up you're guaranteed at least a C I guess yeah. you could say yeah and, yeah and there are some there are some ones that are committed to get their degree and things like that especially if, if the, the grab program is a one-year program you yeah. know because they understand the benefit of it but uh, I, I concur with you there are some there's just going there's just a just a continue playing you know their sport you know whether it's basketball or and most of the time it is basketball you know uh, you don't see it too often in, in other sports at our institution, you know, women's volleyball, you know, and the women are more intent on graduating, uh, you know, than men. I'm not saying our guys uh, in our other sports aren't, uh, but there's a higher percentage of women that are that uh, would really you know, are focused on graduating. 
you know, and, and as opposed to just taking classes uh, just to try to get to the next level. You know, it, it's just a different deal there. The, uh, uh, you know, in 2006, I believe, the NCAA allowed the grad transfer and, and basketball, and that lasted one year, you know, and where you could immediately be eligible. And, and I mean, the floodgates were open, you know, and then they closed that down for a year and then he went to another initiative. Uh, and then it was gone for about a few years, and then it, and then the grad transfer for all sports was was opened up again. Oh, jeez! You know? I mean, but you were seeing football, tremendous football players, elite, and tremendous basketball players, elite ones from you know major division ones, uh, transferring, you know, and and yeah. immediately being eligible. Yeah, and the, you know what the crazy thing is about football, is the jump from I mean that was a huge jump. Don't get me wrong, in like every sport from high school to like even division three, division two, NAIA, division one. But in football, the jump from like high school to like division one football, I feel like is like one of the biggest jumps you could you could possibly make. Cause then then and then the jump from division one to the NFL is even crazier. Cause I mean these people are literally some of the top notch athletes that you'll probably see. They're men. Yeah. You're absolutely That's right. why I laugh, yep. you know, when you know you see these freshmen and you got broadcasters out there that are saying, oh, I mean, he could go, he'd be number one pick in the draft right now. And the dude's like 18 years old. I'm like, there's no way an 18-year-old, like no matter how good he looks on the field, he goes up against those grown men in the NFL, he ain't going to last very long. Like, there's a difference between 18 and 26, yeah, 18 exactly. and 24. There, I mean, that's a huge difference. I mean, the physicality of it is is – Huge, you know, the mental part of it is huge. It's a big difference. Oh, exactly. Like you're gonna get hit really hard, and they're not gonna feel it. Like the people that are hitting you. I've been do- I've been doing it so long. They're not gonna feel it. Yeah. And you've never been, and you being the 18 year old, you've never been hit that hard ever in your life. You're gonna feel it and not want to go do that ever again. That's why you know what. You gotta give a lot of encouragement to those slot receivers out there that are playing the NFL that literally get their head taken off. Potential on every play that's thrown their way. Oh yeah, it's it takes a certain type of, of player to be able to come down and you know get pick themselves up off the ground and do it again and being able to do it again. You know, oh, but, exactly. I mean, and that's what high school you know um, athletes might not realize is they see it on TV. Says yes, I can do that. I can do that. And not all of them can do it. They don't understand <laughs> until they get in the thick of it. So it's how bigger, faster, stronger, quicker. You know those the, the division one athlete is for the most part and then a small percentage and and i at the end of i do a presentation for high schools and a call spheres and about the, the ncaa eligibility center and then the recruiting part of it and i talk about you better have a plan b and i show a chart that shows how many high school uh, student athletes there are in their specific sport whether it's football baseball basketball softball oh yeah it's, it's, it's a yeah. small it's it's it, like less than one percent yeah like that make it to what is it i think it's god i remember doing this with uh, the talk about this with the the football coach when i was in high school and you know he made it to the he played in the nfl mm. um and he went to ohio state played in the nfl and all that and he full-on told told us like you know what if you aren't fully dedicated to this sport, like you gotta have a plan B. Like I mean, unless you're willing to like give up everything, like you, this isn't what you want to do. Like you gotta have a plan B. 
Um, you know, because, I mean, he said he gave up everything kind of thing, like to play at Ohio State and play in the NFL. He, he had literally no time off, was just lifting. It's a job. Just trying to outwork people. I mean, let's face it, Kobe would not be as good as he was if he didn't just outwork literally everybody. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what people say. Kobe's probably the hardest working athlete, like recorded, probably. I mean, from other players' point of view, you know, yeah. he says that he worked harder than anybody. He got four training sessions in when people got like one or two. Like he was, you know, there three hours before anybody else, having ice like on his knees and shoulders before practice even mm-hmm. started. And everyone looked at him like, man, he's already broken like all the sweat and all that. And that's what it takes to, you know, because I mean, Kobe wasn't the, he came in and he wasn't that good in the NBA. Like he knew what he had to do to become as good as he was. He had to just outwork everybody. And he had some of the greatest feet I've ever seen. When it came to footwork, well, that's what made him, I mean, the only person I could compare him to is, like, Jordan. About when it comes to footwork, I mean, his footwork was just like, I mean, you'd make a shot out, you know, there's no possible way you could get the shot off. And he would somehow be able to pivot his way into getting a shot, somehow fading away, whatever it was. And that's where, you know, I think that's how Kobe... So why there's so many Kobe fans out there yeah. is because Kobe really always made you feel like that the, the hero feeling because like, I mean he played on so many bad teams for you know during that mid 2000s before he got Pau Gasol and after he had Shaq and you know the only time he, they they would get wins is if Kobe went like off that was the only time the Lakers ever won games in those like 2000 whatever 2004 or 2005 to like 2008 like during that little stretch. Like, I mean, they weren't winning any games unless, like, Kobe was scoring 30, 40 points a game. Yeah. Well, well, you mentioned footwork, and, and you're absolutely right. It comes down to footwork. You know, I mean, that, that's just the basis of it. You know, and, and I don't think, you know, you mentioned nothing against the AAU coaches, but, you know, the, the fundamentals, you know, and, and, and I don't think a lot of coaches, you know, AAU coaches especially, uh, spend time on the, fun, on the fundamentals because they, they play so many games. And they have practices, and so they're more, you know, intent. And I understand, and understandably so, uh, about winning games, you know, because they want to, they want to, you know, ideally coach at at the college level sometimes. So they figure they can win more games, which makes sense. If they can win more games, then they have that opportunity to maybe coach at the college level sometime. But it all comes on footwork. I watch a lot of our practices, and that's the first place I go. My eyes drop right to the feet, and oh, yeah. to, to see what to do, especially when they're running. And you know, and the coach blows the whistle from one to run one line to the next. And how many times do they take a negative step before they go forward? You know, they always take a step back before they go forward. Uh, and then I'm watching the women's and the men's 1500 Olympic trials, and because every step matters there, because if you don't take a, you know, if you don't step properly, I mean, the per, the other person, the other runners, two three feet in front of you. Just like that, within a split oh, yeah. second. And so I'm watching the start of it, and most of them don't take a negative step because they've trained. As soon as the gun goes off, they really push off and go forward. And I watched that in, you know, in, in our, you know, with basketball players. The whistle hits, and when they're running lines, they take a step back, and then they go forward, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and that's just a learned condition. Yeah. You know? no. But it's, it all comes back down to footwork. Yeah, I mean... It's all. It's also all trial and error too. You know, you gotta rep, repetitions everything when it comes mm-hmm. to just anything. I mean, with anything, repetitions everything. You know, like you gotta. 
tell yourself you gotta go like if you're dedicated to working out again you gotta go work out six days a week you gotta tell yourself gotta get off my butt go to the gym uh if you want to work on becoming a better shooter you gotta shoot a lot of shots to become a good shooter like me coming from a shooter like I took my my dad would tell you he took I mean I was outside probably shot about a thousand shots a day mm-hmm. at least and that's what I mean I became a good shooter yeah. I had a good touch around the rim whatever um, but you know everything's repetition like footwork is like one of the biggest things when it comes to repetition because I mean the amount of people that don't know how to pivot correctly and when you know me being a coach now you know I I open up people's eyes to seeing like you know, you did this pivot, and look at you have no angle on this shot, but then you literally make the pivot the other way, and wow, look at the the backboard's right there for you to just bank it off the backboard. It's incredible what can change just kind of mentally being there, and also like just work on the footwork, like knowing which way is the best way. It's going to be a higher percentage look, um, but that, that all comes with repetition and and playing, so. Yeah. Well, and, and having that mentality, as you mentioned before, Kobe Bryant, so say, I got to get, I got to work. You know, if I want to improve, I have to work. You know, and I'm sure everybody's heard this before. I mean, I heard it when I was in high school, heard it when I was in college. I'm sure you did too. That, you know, when you're not practicing, someone else is. And when you meet that person, they will beat you because they were practicing when you weren't. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and so you got to work, you, you got to work hard. If, if you want it badly enough, are you going to work hard? And how hard are you going to work when you're working hard? Yeah. You know, if that makes sense. And, and our strength and conditioning coaches at the collegiate level, you know, and at the pro level, they work on footwork. There are footwork drills that they do. You know, high school level, maybe not as much because they might not have as time, as much time. Uh, you know, but now at, at the collegiate level, you're working, foot, you're doing footwork drills uh, either, you know, on the practice field or within the strength and conditioning uh, area with a strength and conditioning coach because they understand just how important that is. I agree with you. It all comes down to footwork. Yeah, I mean, and that's in, like, every sport, too. I mean, didn't realize how important footwork was in tennis until until you swing it enough times and you have bad footwork, you're going to hit the ball over the place. Like, if you want to hit the ball where you wanted to hit it, you got to have the right footwork. Baseball, I mean, if you don't have good footwork on, like, how on your, you know, catching the ball or swinging the bat, you know, the ball goes all over the place, or, you know, you just misplay balls. Um, I mean, golly, how much time you got? Soccer, I mean, soccer literally is all footwork. <laughs> like, yep. But seeing what soccer players do, I mean, I, I truly have a love for soccer. Like, it's pretty hard to like, – I could sit down and watch a good soccer game, soccer match, and, you know, just I appreciate, like, the best players in the world because, I mean, they – they're some of the most incredible athletes I've ever witnessed. Like those, they're just what they're able to do with their feet and with the with a soccer ball blows my mind. Like yeah, it blows my mind more than any player that could do crazy dunks or anything like that. It blows, that the stuff that soccer players do with the ball, they have like guys grabbing their jerseys, this and that, and they're able to bend, like curve the ball in somehow and head it from like thirty yards out. I, I'm like, you know. I gotta have love for that for those soccer players. I mean, those guys. And don't get wrong, you know. Obviously, everyone always says, "Oh, well, they flop all the time." But then again, like they, that's how like like they don't call fouls for like touching like it does in football or in a, yeah. in the NBA or in basketball. You know, the, there's no you're allowed to 
to you to body people up in soccer and stuff like that. So they kind of have to flop to get a call. I don't think people understand. Like they like you get kicked in the knee, and a ref is not going to call it unless yeah. you fall over and show that you got kicked <laughs> in the knee. Yeah, like yeah. that's because I mean the soccer, those soccer referees are in better shape than any of those NBA. They're running. Um, they're and, always running. Yeah, they're always running for a longer period of time. Yeah, and the clock doesn't stop. Yeah, forty-five yeah. minute, forty-five minute. It's, a, it's a marathon. Yeah, they're just nonstop. And that's why, like, you watch like, all these soccer players. They got best physiques out of anybody when it comes to like. There's not one. There's not one soccer player that's out of shape. Oh yeah. Like all of them are in incredible shape. Like those guys are the kind of guys you'd see like at a modeling magazine kind of thing. Like I mean. Yes, what they do. Yeah, I mean that's what running does, though. You want to cut a lot of weight, do a lot of running. That that burns fat real quick. (laughs) That's why it it burns running a lot after you've done it enough times. Oh, nonstop. Yeah, and you do it, and they're doing nonstop. They're never just standing; they're always moving. Like it's whether the ball's near them, they're kind of jog. They're always at least jogging, always, and you gotta always appreciate it, though. But yeah, no, I mean, I was glad. I'm glad I finally got to have you on the podcast. So no, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, 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 man. Uh, getting to see us, Cal Baptist University. This is uh, where we did the podcast too. So a little bit of a treat for my pops and I. Um, yeah, it's, it's to a- see this university again. One of the prettiest universities I've ever been to by far. Yeah, we're we're just moving and, and growing. You know, we're progressing. And, uh, we don't believe in stagnation at all. We believe in moving forward, and we have, again we have tremendous uh, support and vision from from up top, from our president, you know, all the way down. Uh, we have an energetic uh, athletic director, you know, and and, uh, and highly competitive coaches who know how to coach, and you know, and who care about the student athlete, and uh, and they really get after it, uh, you know, and and you couple that, and we recruit tremendous student athletes um, I think it's a great combination yeah and we've had some great success I mean I'm looking at our Learfield Cup here and Lear, the Learfield Cup is for you know it's a top team in a nation you know there's a point system of the top team in a nation uh, over the years and when I came here um, we were number 16 my second year here we were number eight in a nation uh, my third year we went to four my fourth year we went to two, and the next year we won it. Not because of me, you know, uh, that's just a, a chronological order, uh, be, but because of the coaches that we had and the support we had from the administration and the student athletes, you know, and you and you put all that together, and and uh, you know, it's, it's quite it's, it's quite an award to, to win, you know. So now, and that was when we were Division Two, uh, much more competitive at Division One because yeah. you have the Stanfords and those people. Uh, yeah, Cal Baptist is a great place to be. And, uh, you know, it's just looking forward to what's going to happen here in a transition. We have one more year of transition, uh, 22, uh, 21, 22, and then we're going to be el- eligible at this point in time, eligible in all sports for postseason play for the NCAAs uh, in 22, 23. You know, there are eight, seven other teams that are making it to the transition along with us, not at the same time, but North Alabama, University of North Alabama. Uh, they're in our same cohort. Uh, Dixie State is be a year behind us. Tarleton State is a year behind. Uh, and then you have you know, Bellarmine, uh, you know, which is making that transition. And uh, what's interesting is St. Thomas, which is a D3 school in Minnesota. 
They like, transition all the way to Division One. They're going from D3 to Division One. They they receive an exception from the NCAA. Normally, you have to go D3 to D2 to D1. What happened was they're always dominating their conference, the MEAC, Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. All right. I mean, they're just dominating it. And so what happened was the conference kicked them out like a year ago. They said, no, you guys are gone. You know, so, okay, well, where are we going to go? So they petitioned the NCAA. The NCAA, I believe it was in April, granted them, yes, you can go Division One. Now, normally, as I mentioned before, it's, it's a four-year period, a transition period, uh, from D2 to D1. Theirs, they're starting this coming year. They won't be eligible for anything, so that's going to be 21, 22. They have a six-year transition period, you know, because any uh, D3, non-scholarship, athletic scholarships, right? And so the biggest thing with, with D1 is that you, the transition is you have to prove, it's almost like I say, yeah, you have to demonstrate the escrow, right? You have to prove that you can sustain the athletic grant needs and, and the operational budget and all that, mostly the athletic grant needs, um, for four years, right? Now, in the early 2000s, it was only a two-year plan, and then that's when everybody jumped from NEI or D2 to D1, you know, and, and then some weren't able to sustain it, and so they had a moratorium the D1 put a moratorium on who can who can go to D1. You know, at that time you said a seven-year moratorium, and then they moved to the four-year moratorium, uh, and then they finally said after a period of time they said, okay, those reclassifying it's four years, no more two years, because you have to prove just that you can sustain it. So St. Thomas, kudos to them, you know, for yeah. for being able to do that. That's never that's, never heard that happening before. So yeah, crazy. yeah, and it, I mean. It, I'm sure it might have happened, but not in the past eight, ten years. That's crazy. But, yeah, thanks again, though, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Cal Baptist, beautiful university. And I'll tell you something, the gym is about as dope as of a gym I've ever been in, to be honest. Yeah, we're, we're, we're fortunate highly blessed to have that that, facil- you know, that facility. It... it, it, it it helps the community, helps the campus, you know, serves the campus community very well. Yep, yep, yep. And once again, this is the Weatherman Report. And once again, thank you to Michael Scarano, the Athletic Director of Cal Baptist, being here, um, joining me for this podcast. So tune in on this and look for new updates for the next episodes coming out. And bye.